Welcome to Coffee with Jamie, a show about how to get unstuck from some of life's stickiest stuff, like burnout, divorce, loss, and more. Here is your host, Jamie Finney. Hello there. (laughs) Welcome and thank you for joining me. This is Coffee with Jamie, a show about getting unstuck. And I'm your host, Jamie Finney. So uh, how are things? (laughs) All right. All right. Well, this is episode 12 and what will be the closer of my first season of Coffee with Jamie. So, um, you know, my show is about getting unstuck and today's show is, it's going to be about a sticky situation I I recently found myself in. And while I tried to stick it out, (laughs) I made the decision to leave. So as honestly and respectfully as I can, I'm going to share a summary of that experience with you all today, because I feel like um, it's really one of those example situations that many of us may find ourselves in, um, especially in the work world. And, you know, we've touched on sticky work situations a few times in a few ways in previous episodes, but I'll be darned if a brand new sticky situation didn't just unfold in my own life right over the last past few months. <laughs> so, so yeah, wild stuff, wild stuff. So um, before we get into the heavy stuff, I like to uh, answer that question. What kind of coffee are we having with Jamie today? What kind? And I say that I say that because the question was asked early on in the season, not because I like referring to myself in the third person there. So, so I love hearing about what you're trying, making, tasting out there. Thank you for those of you who have emailed in to share with me. R.S. who likes his local blue bottle. Ash who likes to experiment with home roasting and grinding, which sounds really interesting. And now you've piqued my curiosity into what is involved in all of that. Well, thank you for reaching out to let me know uh, that this kind of stuff happens. (laughs) I have to experiment. Maybe season two becomes, you know, more of a coffee exploration. Anyway, for this final episode of the season, I am revisiting my stash of Swift Cup coffee. And this uh, it's the Brazil Carmo de Minas. Um, this is not a sponsorship read of any sort, but rather um, Swift Cup coffee was a gift I received from listener Victor a few weeks back. And this Brazil packet is my favorite of the like assorted blend. I got a, a trio assorted blend, and this is my favorite one. So that's what I'm revisiting this morning. And, you know, I got to say, I'm, it's really tasty. And I'm like such a huge fan of instant coffee and like things that are easy. So (laughs) instant coffees are a lot of fun for me to explore. If you have any instant coffee recommendations, by all means, throw them out there. I'm very curious, you know, they're not all great. (laughs) So, So it's really interesting to try those anyway. And then, um, you know, usually I do a, a mug memory uh, where I remember a neat thing from the past. And I actually want to shift the focus this week to the future with today's cup of coffee. I want to breathe in with the scent of my fresh coffee. I want to breathe in the scent of possibility and owning our time and creating space to own our destiny to getting unstuck so that we can design exactly the life we want to have. So let's sip to that today. 
You get you on board with that? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, last week on episode 11, listener Sylvia B wrote in with a beautiful and painfully raw email about her form of stuck, which she described as drowning. And in response, I, I talked about comfort zones, about not being or being not alone, um, and, and how the idea of just keep swimming doesn't always mean being strong and not stopping, but that you get to define what it means in the way that meets you where you're at. So if you haven't heard that one, go give it a listen um, and definitely let me know what you think. I have received bits of feedback from listeners all throughout the season, and I want to tell you thank you. Um, First of all, every bit of feedback that I've received about the show, I feel has been very positive, um, very constructively communicated. So thank you. Um, It helps. It helps me learn and grow. It helps me understand what's resonating with you, the listeners. And honestly, I really love connecting with you in that way. And um, I will throw out there that through uh, the last, man, several weeks, I've, I've been a little slower to respond than I would like to be. But, you know, I'm, I'm ex- I, I do and will get to you. If I haven't yet, I will. Um, but yeah, so normally I'm a pretty speedy responder, but I've, I've been a little slow. You might understand why after I get through today's story. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, you know, I'm excited because the, the listener counts have actually grown throughout the season. Um, I think I, I joked last week that it was like all seven listeners, ha ha ha, but we, we actually hit 700 listeners. So, um, you know, that's not bad. I went from, you know, like 30 the first week. And so thank you. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for your support. And if you're coming back to listen, wow, like, thank you. <laughs> it means the world to me. I want to build something here, you know? All right. So, um, so yeah, not, you know, it's the last episode of the season of season one. Yes. Um, last episode ever. No, I will be back. I will be sharing all the details through my website and social media. All of that information is noted at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that so we can stay in touch. All right. All right. Um, as I delve into today's story, I think it's reasonable to address that I have experienced in my life, um, I've experienced privilege being a a white woman with a strong career in tech. And while I don't want to discredit that I've worked hard and through a lot that life has hurled my way, I think it's important to acknowledge that not everyone has dealt the same hand in life. We're not all starting from the same place. And some of the freedoms that I've had and the, the good fortune to you know, take advantage of, um, those do come from the, the hand I was dealt. And so I have to acknowledge that with that, let's set this story up with a little background so that hopefully it makes sense, whether this is your first time listening or you've, you know, if you've made the journey back here through previous episodes, um, that it's not too redundant for you, but all right. So a little backgrounder here. I've, I have had a very long career in tech working my way up from, you know, a determined self-taught designer slash coder um, in, into a production artist. And then an actual, you know, became an actual web designer um, and then into, you know, middle management and eventually onto like director level UX design positions, um, all, you know, digital product stuff. And 
when I hit burnout, you know, I think I was in a director level UX position when I hit burnout after the loss of my dad back in 2012. And it it completely disconnected um, my my love and my ability to design digital products. And so in my journey to redesign myself, I I ended up quitting my job. I went 100% self-employed. I shifted my focus first on fixing me, but then expanding what I was doing and learning into helping people, the people side of technology. So new as I did that new contract opportunities in like the executive level, um, C-level, board level positions started to open up for me. So I was able to, you know, accumulate a lot of that sort of experience as well um, beyond, you know, beyond middle and director level and a lot of really good experiences. So also in the path of self-design, my significant other and I used our collaborative skills together to launch our own idea, which went viral the day we launched. And when that happened, I I shut down nearly all of my contract work. So that was in 2016. Um, you know, speaking, writing, consulting, I was uh, I was on contract as an interim COO at the time um, for a tech company. And you know, I I I shut it all down to pour my focus into building our little company into something that would hopefully sustain itself. I'm happy to report that it's still a great little company with a beating heart, despite a significant downturn during the second year of the global pandemic. But with that downturn came this opening of time in both my and my husband's calendars. Um, We didn't have enough orders uh, or work volume to be in the shop every day anymore. And while we were we actually really embraced that. You know, we started mountain biking. I finished my first book. I started blogging more frequently. Again, I started this show. Um, you know, I was enjoying driving my kids to school and their various activities as things started opening up again. And even though all of these really wonderful things and wonderful ways to spend my time were happening, I also found myself mentally struggling with this sort of strange but recurring fear that uh, I will call uncertainty. Um, I have blog posts about my dance with uncertainty that date all the way back to 2013. Um, It's not a new theme for me, but like most things in life, maybe you can relate to this, it comes and goes in waves. And, you know, I know the pandemic brought a lot of uncertainty to a lot of people Um, But where my fear was really emphasized was in this fixation of what if I need to get a job again? Like, am I even hireable anymore? You know, having worked for myself um, in a variety of somewhat hard to describe capacities since 2013, the more I thought about it, I kept seeing myself as the guy from the movie office space who like when he's being interviewed by the consultants, he's just, he's like trying to justify his role. And he kind of like erupts into like, I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people, (laughs) but it's kind of clear that his role might be unnecessary. I don't know. I I do feel like I've, I've always found uh, a necessary, a, a place of being necessary, you know, a nice foothold. 
Um, and I, I do think I have people skills. I do think that I'm good at dealing with people. Um, you know, I wouldn't usually word it as dealing with people. I like people. I like people's stories. I like working with people. I like learning about people, where they come from, what their stories are. So I, I think that an element of that helps me in what I do. So anyway, I was really like, you know, starting to feel overwhelmed with this concern. Um, but basically this, this concern is just fear. I was scared. I was scared. I wouldn't be able to find work again. If, um, the nest egg that I kind of built for myself should run out, you know, what if, what if, you know, all the, the unpredictability and uncertainty of the world and all the things happening and, you know, like, what if, what if, so, um, you know, and, and also I just want to throw this out there because a lot of people are like, well, what about unemployment or what about all those PPP loans the government was doling out for, you know, those I would just want to say as a self-employed person, there was no unemployment. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there wasn't that. And then PPP loans are for only for companies with employees. Ken and I had ourselves and two contractors, you know, and we, and we still do. That's still exactly what picture this clothing is. Um, but prior to the pandemic, Ken and I had built up some solid reserves independently. And then we decided to get married in 2020 and combine our forces. So we help each other out a lot there. But still, I had this fear. Um, and this fear was kind of growing out of control. I felt like I had to prove myself, I had to prove it that, that I could still find work. And I had to try to figure out how to communicate what is it I do? What am I good at here? How, how do I sell myself in a marketable way? So I kind of low-key started putting the word out that I was looking. Um, I wasn't really sure what I was looking for, just you know, ideally something like 10 to 20 hours a week, maybe if the right full-time thing came along, maybe. But um, I was kind of looking at like design team, something there, UX writing, or maybe content strategies, something more on the writing side of tech because words and UX microcopy, um, one of my favorite parts of, of digital product creation really. And it, I don't know, I, I was definitely not looking for anything like executive level because we are still running picture this clothing, even though it doesn't take a lot of my time personally, I, I still put in two um, to 10 hours a week over there and picture this clothing, depending on what's going on. I'm still writing and selling books. And, you know, Ken and I have a lot of uh, idea baking irons in the fire right now, but I needed to know, could I still do this work? Because what if? So uh, after a couple months of kind of quietly poking around through networks and friends and whatnot, a couple of different opportunities ended up coming through all at once. And suddenly I had like 30 to 40 hours, sorry, 30 to 40 hours of contract work up and running. And so I suddenly became very busy. Um, and then a really unfortunate experience happened. And I, I want to really, I think, make clear, I'm not one for talking negatively about people or places. That's just not my jam. Um, but I think this experience is one worth sharing. And I, I want to note that there really are only about three living people who know who I was working with and, um, and when. And I had multiple projects going on. So I don't feel, you know, like at different times, I don't feel like sharing this story will compromise the name of the company um, in any way. 
and I will refer to people by their real job titles, but these job titles are, you know, they apply to many companies out there and I will not name any names. I want to emphasize that the point of my sharing is absolutely not to tear anyone down, but rather to talk about how and why I made the decision to remove myself from an environment of what I felt to be very ugly behavior, honestly. So um, on with it. I was I was added to a project that was already in progress and I was I took on a, a role as a content person. So content strategy really, um, specific task that I was asked to do was a content inventory and a content audit of the client's existing like web experience. So my client's client. And it seemed pretty straightforward. So without giving too many intricate details, I will say the project felt pretty chaotic from the start. Um, A few weeks in, I had a first instance with this executive VP of user experience who, um, through the rest of the story, I will just call EVP. Um, EVP. And um, so that's who my primary challenge was with through the duration of this project. So I had my first experience. Um, another teammate and I discovered that we we felt equally confused and, and frankly, quite a bit stressed out about the quality and the process of an in-progress deliverable we, that about eight of us were all working on together. And, and so this one uh, coworker and I decided we should bring it up to a small group of higher-ups on the team and offer to help. Um, But when we did, we were immediately shut down by EVP. We were told if it was basically phrased like this, if you're stuck, we'll pull it down and get it across the finish line ourselves. This is a UX deliverable and we own it. So it was like, whoa, (laughs) I can't, I can't speak for the other person who joined me, um, you know, who, was with me when we, you know, said, Hey, we see, uh, we see some, you know, this feels like it's stuck. The, the project feels stuck. The deliverable feels stuck, not us per se, but we think we can help. We're here to help. And, um, basically that felt like a complete shutdown. Right. And so, um, yeah, even though I, I felt pretty shut down by that, I'd never had an experience of a, like an executive kind of like when you offer to help, have them just be like, no, whoa. <laughs> so I have experienced some territorialism before, um, very common in a lot of places, but this was, this was a little different, especially from someone, you know, at the executive level, usually they're the, the mediators and anyway, so, so that happened. And I thought, you know what, like maybe they're just stressed out or something like, I'm not going to take it personally. Let's just be here to support the efforts and so my coworker and I, you know, on the same page that way, just going to be there when they need it. Like we'll put, we'll do the best we can with what we've got, but, um, you know, like confusing is <laughs> still nonetheless, very confused. And we're just going to be there to support and do the best we can in that, in that role. So that was fine. So even though I kind of wrote that interaction off as like stress or, or something else going on, and maybe it was just bad timing, um, and, or maybe even bad phrasing on our part. I don't know, but, um, in an effort to support the team, we just kept going and, um, and actually like an, a contact, a contract extension request came through for me. So, uh, I accepted, I accepted the additional work 
And in my mind at the time, like despite this sort of like uncomfortable interaction from EVP, I thought, well, I, I guess at least my work must be okay that they're requesting more of my time. So, but that tension that was sort of laid down um, by EVP remained. And I felt like there were a few comments targeted at me and the other woman who'd voiced concern about the state of the deliverable. But like during team meetings and stuff, it felt like these little sharp, you know, one-off comments. And, and at one point, EVP decided quite on the spot to delegate the sitemap to me. And, you know, something that had been allocated to the UX team the whole time, I was not on the UX team, but I, I accepted the responsibility, but vocalized that it really caught me by surprise, like happy to help, happy to support where I can. And yes, I'm capable of doing this, but in on, in honesty, like the, the way the energy um, felt, it, it felt like it was, it felt like she was trying to throw me under the bus, honestly, with that. But um, we all just kept on going. And so I also want to note that across like the first four to six weeks of this project, a couple of people were suddenly just gone from the project with no explanation. Um, just like they're no longer with the company and new people would be dropped into the chaos. And I know turnover happens. So again, it's just one of those things that you kind of like don't spend too much time thinking about. You just keep moving, right? You got deadlines and all of that. So um, a positive turning point happened though. There was, we, uh, so there was me, the EVP, a director of UX and a UX designer. And we were, we, we basically, um, we did a seven and a half hour live zoom session together, collaborating to complete another deliverable that was owned by someone else. But two days before that deliverable due date, um, this person had an immediate medical leave of absence. And so, um, it, it took, it took, uh, through what four of us, four of us, seven and a half hours, but we got it, we got it done. Right. And that collaboration, I think, you know, everybody working remotely, um, can sometimes muddy communication and interpretation of communication, right. If it's all written or if it's just, um, occasional zoom meetings, et cetera. But I felt like this, this live video, you know, we just left the, the computer camera on. We occasionally, you know, take a lunch break. Um, that was actually a day where Zia was um, expelled from school during this meeting. Like all kinds of crazy things were happening, you know, for all of us. We all had um, individual things going on. Um, the UX designer's dog got, ate something. She had to run her to the vet. You know, I mean, it was just like a wild day, but we were all there. We all kept coming back and we got through this together and it, it really it felt like a positive turning point. And so, you know, great. Um, I felt like we were able to move past a lot of the tension and hostility that I'd felt prior to this. And then toward the end of that section, that session, um, EVP mentioned the possibility of us all getting together in one place for a two-day workshop um, out in Chicago. So, you know, it was a while before we heard confirmation on that, but the budget was approved two days before the workshop date. We booked flights, we booked hotels, and two days later, we all met in person. Um, during our two-day workshop, our small team of, of six people got so much accomplished, and it was awesome until the very end of the session on day two, when EVP decided to share a story with us about a past project at a previous company. In the story, 
The main character was described as someone who possibly had Tourette's syndrome or some other disorder that affects her control of physical movement. Then her her behavior was further described by EVP as, and this is an exact quote, really flopping around and quite a distraction. The, The commentary about this woman's physical behaviors was shocking. It was inappropriate. It was demeaning. You could feel the energy in the room immediately change. And, you know, I can't ever speak for anyone else, but I know my own mind was just spinning and wondering, you know, like I didn't say anything immediately because I was wondering, like, maybe this story is going to go somewhere that concludes in a constructive way that makes sense. But truthfully, by the end of the story, I could make no connection as to why the details of this woman's physical behavior held any gravity to the story's conclusion. So it was just disappointing and disturbing. And it it was disappointing and disturbing in any context, but at a work meeting and coming from an executive vice president of the company, it just for real, you know? So at the close of the story, one woman in our group spoke up to defend the character in the story relating personal experience um, to which I responded in support and of her defense of the character. Um, You know, it shouldn't matter if we relate personally to the character of the story who possibly had Tourette's syndrome or some other disorder that shouldn't matter. Um, What matters is that, you know, like this, Nobody should talk about anyone this way, right? No one, no one should talk about anyone this way, especially, you know, you're just talking about someone with a disability and demeaning this person. The EVP's response to, you know, sort of being called out in defense of the character was to say that she felt this particular woman from her story weaponized her disability. So, yeah. <laughs> so I regret to say that I didn't walk out on the spot. I uh, I kind of sat in disbelief. We closed out the meeting. I actually continued two more hours of work with this with this person, ignoring what just happened. Out of the idea of like civility and finishing the job, um, this was a Thursday. I couldn't sleep Thursday. I couldn't sleep Friday night. I I couldn't stop thinking about it. The story just kept burning in my mind, and how like awful it it seemed. Um, the more time passed, the more horrible I felt. I think I felt even more horrible that I didn't make a bigger deal in the moment, Um, especially knowing that most people in the context of a team situation never really feel comfortable raising issues when, uh, you know, an executive VP makes a comment or an inappropriate remark. Like this, this sorts of things happen. But most people won't call it out out of fear for losing their job, right? Like nobody wants to create like discord in their um, in their own situation. They don't want to damage their own reputation by being called, you know, calling somebody to the floor. But um, we often brush stuff like this off and we move on, and it gets written off as a one-off. And but this isn't the first thing that I'd experienced with this person. It was just volumes worse. Right. And so by Saturday, I realized I really, I was too sickened to continue working with this person as if nothing happened. So I I drafted an email, a feedback email about 
how I, I felt that the story was inappropriate and that I would be closing out my work by week's end. This wasn't a place that I felt like uh, aligned with my values, honestly. Um, and I was only giving it that much time because there were other team members relying on some of my output from the workshop. So as a contractor, I really don't have a lot of insight into the broader company and how it works, um, you know, outside the one project I was working on. I, I did learn that the person who actually hired me, uh, who I didn't work directly with, but who had hired me, um, was laid off a week prior to the whole workshop even happen. And, you know, my only contact with that person was through the company email. So I couldn't talk to this person about it. This person would have technically been, I guess, like my manager, that would be who you would talk to first. Right. But this person, how I discovered that was trying to reach out through a Slack message and, um, this, her, her stuff was deactivated and, you know, through, through a little asking around, I learned that that person had been laid off with about 14 other people. So, wow. You know, wow. That was, that was, um, interesting. So, you know, I, I was trying to figure out like, okay, like if I send feedback to only this woman, this person might spin it around or change what I wrote or use it against me. So I did include the one HR contact name that I had, um, on my feedback email to EVP. So I, um, I also let the two project managers know, um, I explained to them why I felt that I needed to leave immediately. And I felt like that it was important for those two project managers to know so that they could, you know, keep things moving. I felt this is something that would impact them directly. So, um, especially after what had seemed like a really awesome and productive two day workshop, um, nobody knew about this on the, you know, the other side of, uh, of the work team. So, um, I, I received an email the next day after sending my feedback. So Sunday from the director of employee experience. Um, and I, we did a call that afternoon, which truthfully, it just felt very placating. I was like, Oh, I hear you. I'm so sorry this happened. Um, would you be willing to do a call, you know, including EVP and me and, um, you know, and so I agreed and a call was scheduled for the following Thursday at 11 AM. And so, you know, I spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, trying to kind of wrap up all my loose ends so that I could make a smooth transition off Thursday morning. I was nervous, but, um, I had really thought a lot about what I wanted to ask and try to understand and also clarify, but around 10 AM, I noticed the invite for this conversation just disappeared from my calendar. So I reached out to the employee experience director. Let's call this person EED. Um, to ask if the meeting would be rescheduled, I was told no. And that because they believed I had broadcast my message to work teams, um, that there was no need to reschedule. And so I do want to point out that I, I was never asked who I had communicated with. The meeting was canceled with the only notice being that I noticed it vanishing from my calendar. And then I was accused of broadcasting to work teams, which for the record, I had not broadcast anything to work teams. To me, broadcasting to work teams would be like, I don't know, back channeling everyone on the team or even multiple people on the team, which I didn't do. I talked to two project managers who would need to handle the offload of my work 
I let them know why, but I think I was diplomatic about it. Um, I still stand by sending it to the EVP and HR as well. And while looping in the two project managers may be debatably incorrect, um, when your team leaders create a hostile environment for people, people's default nature, including myself, is to protect themselves on some level. So I believe the letter I wrote with feedback was professional, well thought, and it detailed the truth. Um, I wasn't slinging arrows. Um, you know, it wasn't mean or or even like unprofessionally written where there was no, you know, it was just like, these are the facts that this is why it was uncomfortable. This is why I think as leaders, we have to do better. And, and, and that's that, you know, and this is why I'm not going to be continuing my work with this company any further. Um, interestingly, um, this happened about a week before the whole Chris Rock, Will Smith thing happened at the, was it the Grammys or anyway? So, you know, interestingly, when that whole thing happened and it was all over the media, all I could think about was that was so similar. You know, Chris Rock made a disparaging comment about Will Smith's wife, about Jada, um, who has alopecia, right? He makes a disparaging comment about her appearance, which she has no control over, right? And Will Smith's reaction, also debatable, right? Like debatably correct, incorrect. Like I'm not going to go down that, that path here, but he had a reaction to it. My reaction was, I'm going to give you feedback. I'm going to include a couple people for my own protection um, and to make sure that I don't leave loose ends. And, um, and I thought I did that in the most diplomatic way possible. Um, anyway, so my response to this EED after the accusation of broadcasting to work teams, which I really believe was an excessive definition, um, but my proposal was this. How about we actually try coming together as examples of accountability? Every single one of us, EVP, EED, and me, could have handled our piece of this awful experience in ways better than we did. Why not use that as the teaching tool? Um, you know, I personally would have had more respect for a company. I, I would still today, right? I would have more respect for a company willing to embrace that ugly mistakes can and do happen amongst human beings. But if we're willing to hold ourselves accountable, we can actually grow from them. Um, you know, I felt like we have a really kind of incredible opportunity in our hands to communicate through example that it's actually this, this environment could be a safe place to call out an EVP when they're out of line. And the EVP will actually, you know, have some accountability and say, you know what, you're right. I was wrong. I was way out of line. And I didn't even, you know, I didn't even realize how it sounded. My intent was not to offend or hurt anybody's feelings, but, you know, once you pointed it out, I see it now, you know, and to me, that would be such a respectful way to handle this. Right. Um, and, and I thought, you know, here could be a really cool thing. Like do a company, all hands, let's all three, you know, we can, we can create this dialogue and tell the story the, thoughtfully the way that we want to tell it. But I think it's fair to acknowledge what happened, um, you know, and, and to be accountable for it. And that, you know, the EVP, we can start with the story of what happened in whatever capacity. You don't have to expose all the gory details if you don't want. Like to me, you know, 
maybe she didn't want to, <laughs> to be like, yeah, I totally, um, maybe the EVP didn't want to call out like, yeah, I, um, slammed a, a disability, you know, um, like, yeah, maybe that's not the most comfortable thing to call out, but I think there are ways that it could have been done to say, I made a mistake. Um, and this person, this contractor called me out on it. And the way that this person called me out on it could have been handled differently instead of communicating to four people. Maybe it could have just been, you know, between EVP and the HR and that's it. No project managers until further communication. So lesson learned on my part in that way. But I think it would have been great to be able to talk about this with the company as a whole, because often when you are, you feel like you're in a hostile situation, you might not know what to do. But if you as a company are able to put that out there by example, here's the thing that really happened. And then, you know, to further elaborate on the learnings, um, you know, the way HR or EDD, um, EED, Employee Experience Director, handled it with me was, in, you know, they received information that I had shared. I had shared not just with EVP and EED, but also with two project managers. And instead of asking me, who all did you share with? Or did you share with more people than just us? And why? Um, instead of asking for my side of the story, I was just accused of broadcasting to work teams. So I think that could have been handled better as well. So my proposal that I put out there was, hey, why don't we call this what it is, address it with accountability, each of us claiming our accountability for our own role and how, you know, here's what happened. Here's where we went wrong. Here's how we could have handled this differently. And look, we can all come together at the end of this with mutual respect because we were able to work through it like adults. So that was my proposal. And um, obviously that didn't happen. That's not what happened. It was easier to do the more predictable thing where, you know, they're like, no, 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 thank you. You're already leaving. Thanks for your time. Bye. Um, and that's, I think the predictable thing, right? This is what most companies do. Let's patch it up. And now it will probably be, um, communicated more like, <laughs> like, um, oh, here's the proper way of communicating. If you need to call somebody out, like you don't tell anybody, but HR and EVP, because it's a lot easier to clean up the mess. Um, if fewer people know, and I, I understand that, but I, I certainly also didn't broadcast this to work teams. So I don't know, you know, whether it was shared beyond those two project managers is not for me to know or assume. I, I don't know. Um, I assume that it was just with the four people that I shared with. So anyway, um, I think it was easier to do the predictable thing. I think though that that predictable thing is exactly what perpetuates why people who are lower on the chain to an EVP will never feel safe or comfortable calling out an EVP who makes mistakes. Um, this is why people quietly resign and companies continue churning through employees and contractors. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, but I, I feel like I walked away from what was really becoming an overwhelming and toxic experience. And, you know, had it been just the one instance, I probably would have brushed it off like the first two instances that were very, very hostile feeling. Um, you know, like I, I think I could have more easily walked away, you know, brushed, 
brushed past it. Like I did the first ones. I was like, oh, they must've been stressed. Oh, whatever. But I'd had these two previous experiences. And then this third one just felt so much worse, like just ethically, morally wrong. And I really didn't want any part of that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I chose to walk away. I chose not to be stuck in it. And I guess this kind of, you know, we can call back to the, the privilege disclaimer that I made early on. I, I feel very fortunate that I wasn't tied into this position through financial need. Um, but I will say that, you know, I saw some folks resign um, you know, as soon as they felt the disharmony and the sort of hostile environment started looking for other positions and were able to get themselves out that way. For me, I am not, you know, I'm not uh, swinging from one vine to the next, so to speak. I'm not looking for another contract position right now. Um, like, I, I feel like it was a pretty traumatic experience. But I do want to address that there were some really, really good things to actually come out of this experience. And, you know, I think there's an important element to learning from traumatic experiences that happen to us because this kind of stuff happens. Like, you know, I mean, just like I, you know, we've all gone through a lot of work experiences that suck. I, I'm just going to say, if you work, you probably worked through some sucky experiences, right? And understanding what your boundaries are and what you're willing to tolerate and what you're not willing to tolerate, um, I think it's more important now than ever to be able to speak up. How we speak up, if you're not sure, get feedback. And I will say I, I did uh, have a feedback exchange with someone who I, a trusted party before I sent that feedback email to, you know, I think that email took me three days to write. I mean, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, from the time it happened Thursday night, I worked on it. I worked on it in my entire flight home. I worked on it uh, well into Saturday um, iteration, 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 until I felt like it, it, it stated the facts in a non-hostile way. It was um, clear and professional. And so, you know, like, but I had some objective feedback who could look at it, you know, through a lens, um, a non-emotional lens. And so I think that sort of thing is important. So I, I did learn a lot. I think through every traumatizing experience I've ever had, the ability to look back and, and kind of try to glean what was the positive takeaway. So like the trauma, like you don't even have to think about that. That one's there. And the negativity, like that stuff bounces within the walls of your mind without your permission sometimes. Right. And so like that stuff doesn't need any help um, being perpetuated in your mind. What, what it actually needs is to be dampened <laughs> and to, you know, the strength to move forward from it. So it doesn't slow us down. Um, what I was able to to kind of like retrospectively look at was, you know, I really enjoyed the work. The clients were awesome. I liked the work we were doing while it lasted. I felt like it was, it reignited my brain in a lot of ways that I haven't felt um, on fire uh, in, in a long time. And so that felt really good. Um, 
I also, I got the validation that I needed, that I could still do this kind of work, that I could still get hired if I needed or wanted, and that I still have some solid human capital. Um, The fear that I mentioned early on, the fear that actually drove me to even being in this contract position in the first place, I was able to stare it in the face, to hold it hand hand in hand and walk with that fear into this experience until I got what I needed from the experience. And then I now I can let go. I'm not afraid anymore. Um, And so like that to me is one of the most valuable things to come of, of the whole experience. And then, you know, another um, really amazing benefit was that there were some Amazing people. I feel like I made a couple new friends and one in particular who I mentioned on last week's episode, I will most definitely be friends with for the rest of my life in some way, shape or form. This person is phenomenal, strong, inspiring. Um, And I think we helped each other survive and overcome that pretty traumatic experience. We did it together. And um, it I think like I touched on last week, it's kind of nice to know you're not alone. And so even though, you know, this, this whole experience didn't really play out the way I wanted it to, I really would have loved, I mean, what an amazing closer it would have been if we, me, EVP and EED had, had been able to come together with accountability and create like, what a cool thing that would have been, but, you know, we'll just say it is what it is. Um, hopefully, hopefully the feedback helps and that that person will take it to heart and maybe be more aware of, of the comments that come out of their mouth, especially in a work environment. You know, I, if, if anything can come from it, it's really just accountability and hopefully a, a lesson learned there. So Anyway, um, you know, I actually, I wrote a book called 12 Ways to Be Better to Work With. It's interpersonal skills for people who work with other people. And I, I really think the last three months of contract work have very likely given me enough material for an entire part two of that book. So <laughs> keep an eye out for that. <laughs> I have a, a two other little project books to finish before I get to that. But wow, do I have some material in the making. So, woo. all right. So yeah, I think the last three months, it, it's a wild. Um, but I also acknowledge that, you know, it's, you can't rest on your laurels, right? Like it's always valuable. Even when you have a traumatic experience that plays out, it's always valuable to get out there and have some new and fresh experiences. And so for me, um, I, I do retell a lot of the same stories, a lot of the experiences that I've gone through over the past 10 years. People who know me, who've seen me speak, um, you know, they might know these stories and they're like, oh, here she goes again with that same old story. But, you know, I tell the story over and over often because there are people who haven't heard the story and people who haven't heard it when they hear my story often connect with it. And I think there's value in retelling stories that way, but there's also value in getting out there and having new experiences that build new stories. And, you know, this is kind of the first run of telling this story and this event. And I will 
you know, I'll work through it a few more times. I, I would actually like to make a blog post about it. Um, I don't want it to be, I think again, I just want to hit on the point that this wasn't about tearing down the person who made the mistake. I think people make mistakes. We do. We, I, I do. I certainly make mistakes. Um, even, you know, how I, I talk about things or refer to stories or call people out. Like I am learning as I go as well. Right. We mess up, but I think the accountability part is that's so important. Like that's the important thing. If we can be accountable and say, man, I did really mess up. I did that way wrong. Um, and man, what can I do to make that better and not make that same mistake again? Um, so that's why I do this show, you know, is like, here's what I've learned from my own fumblings. Here's what I, you know, would do differently if I were to do it again. Um, yeah. Would I do things differently with this last experience? I'm going to say, I don't know, actually. Like right now I would say, no, I wouldn't do a single thing differently because I felt like I was protecting myself in a hostile environment by sharing with four people. Um, so right now, I don't think enough time has passed for me to feel differently about the way I approached it, but I'm going to work through this as a blog post um, because I actually think there are important learnings that maybe other people um, can take away. Like, I really think the accountability piece, um, I would love to see a company do that. I have yet to see a company address things with accountability in the way that I proposed. And I really don't think it would be that hard to do it. You control the story that way you, um, teach and guide, you help your employees or your teams, um, learn how you would like them to communicate when toxic situations inevitably happen. Um, you know, or uncomfortable situations, you're able to teach them through real experience and through showing them that, Hey, we can all still work together after this. You don't have to leave. Um, we're, we're accountable. And if you're accountable and willing to work with us, then we can make this work. I, I really think that is a beautiful message that I would love to, yeah, I'd love to perpetuate that. So I'll probably put less emphasis on what happened and more emphasis on the learnings um, as I iterate my own way through telling this story again and again in the future. So um, again, yeah, not intended to disparage the company at all. I mean, I, I think the company could be doing better, obviously, um, at some things. Um, I think that it's a common thing. Um, what they did is not all that different from any other company I've ever worked in coached or, um, yeah, or consulted with. So I, I think that those kinds of things are far more common than folks would like to, uh, acknowledge, especially higher ups in companies. So, but I think when you go down in the ranks, um, you learn a lot more, um, you get a lot more perspective. Let's just say it that way. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, have you ever had a bad Apple experience like this? What did you do? How did you handle it? Um, with the experience I shared today, what would you have done differently? Please email me um, and let me know. You know, uh, I would love to hear from you and how maybe you would have done things differently, or if you think that I I handled it um, well. <laughs> let me take a big sip of coffee here. All right, all right, all right, <laughs> all right. So, um, well, that was that was my wild story of the past three months, and. As mentioned in the beginning of the show, I am sipping 
for the future with this cup of coffee. I feel optimistic and energized and, you know, and, and I feel like I got what I needed to out of that experience. So with that, if you would like to reach out to me, please go to the show link on my website, coffee with Jamie, J A I M E E.com. Scroll down on that page, um, the show page. You'll see a big fat email button. Uh, scroll a little further. You can also find my social media links there, as well as a mailing address for folks like Victor who like to ship me coffee to try. Always welcome. So if you write, please let me know in your message if it's okay to share in a future story or episode um, and let me know how you'd like to be addressed. If it's social media handle, first name, initials, um, anonymous or, or whatever you prefer, you let me know that is how I will handle it. Um, a special note that Coffee with Jamie um, is in no way to be construed or substituted as mental health counseling um, or any other type of psychotherapy or medical advice. The information I offer is based on my very own life and work experiences, and the purpose is really to assist folks in making changes in their lives through supportive guidance and hopefully hopefully a bit of inspiration. But if you feel like you're in a crisis or need professional help, I have left some information in the show notes just for you. So please go check that out. You can support this show uh, by listening or sharing it with others. Uh, if you want to share the show with friends, you can, um, you can either listen live each week. This is my last live week for a while. So um, you can find me on my website, coffeewithjamie.com. There is a link um, to podcast networks as well. So if you want to listen later, catch up on episodes you've missed, you can do that right there through the show page on the Coffee with Jamie website. Um, and, and that's it. So I want to say, even though there's not another episode after this until I bust out season two, um, I don't have a timeline on that just yet. But what I'd like for you to do, if you've liked my show reach out to me through coffeewithjamie.com through that uh, website, through the contact page or the show page. And let me know what you think. Let me know what you'd like to hear. What do you think should be the, the driver of season two? Um, and with that, my friends, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today for the season. I will catch you in season two. And uh, with that, let's take a sip of of coffee for the future. Take care. Thank you for taking the time for Coffee with Jamie. Please join Jamie Finney again next Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time for another cup of discussion and wisdom on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then. 